Well, if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, this morning's message, if you're taking notes, is titled, Every Little Bit Helps. Every Little Bit Helps. Matthew chapter 25. Not sure if you caught this in the news a year ago. Some of the guys may have seen this, but it was December 19th, and a five-year-old boy named Bennett, he was just uh, wanting to hang out with his dad. And so what do, you, what do you do when you want to hang out with your dad? Well, his dad was really into college football, and so he starts watching college football with his dad after a few weeks and then bonding with this. All of a sudden, across the screen comes the most amazing logo he had ever seen. It was a dragon. He said, Dad, did you see that dragon? What team is that? Well, that's the University of Alabama at Birmingham, son. He goes, that is my favorite team in college football. So his dad's just enjoying hanging out with his son. It's a good excuse, you know, to watch football and not get in trouble with your wife. And so he starts watching this specific team with his son. A few weeks later, his son says, Dad, you got to take me to a game. You You just have to take me to go see this dragon team. He says, well, son, this is the, I can't. This is the first major college football program to shut down to close its doors since the late 90s. This, this, uh, there was no games coming close to where they lived, and they had already decided to close the football program. It was in the hole, $30 million a year being subsidized by the university, and the university was just kind of fed up with that, that kind of, that kind of financial loss. And so Bennett is just destroyed. He's ruined. This is his favorite team, and now they're going to be shut down. And he says, so it's a, it's a money problem, Dad? His dad says, yeah, it's a money problem. Why? He goes, Dad, I want to send them my allowance. And so he gets his dollar bill, and he writes a note saying, I love football, and I think you should have a team also, and mails it to them, thinking, Dad, do you think it's going to help? And his dad didn't, and mom didn't want to squash the optimism and says, well, let's give it a try, son. Let's give it a try. You know, and what I love about little five-year-old Bennett in his innocence is that he sees a problem but he thinks maybe I can be a part of the solution. So often when I see a problem, and maybe this is true for you also, I get so overwhelmed at how big of a problem it is that I do nothing. I just assume it's God's problem, it's somebody else's problem. And so you look at how the whole world needs Jesus and the whole world is in turmoil and well, what, what could I possibly do in that situation? But what we see in the scriptures is that every servant is needed Every talent is helpful, and the laborers are few. And so God calls us to join him in the ministry. So this morning, we're going to learn that as we choose to serve God in little ways each day, we're actually choosing to serve him in greater ways in the future. For context of Matthew 25, in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus walks by the temple, and the disciples are really impressed at it. And he says, well, actually, not one stone is going to be left upon another The disciples say, well, when is this going to happen? And he tells them all sorts of things about what the end of the age is going to look like. But ultimately, he tells them that he's not going to tell them the exact date when this is going to happen. But he tells them how they can be ready. He gives them the parable in Matthew 25 in the the first couple verses of the wise and foolish virgins. And that parable is basically designed to teach us that we need to be ready. We have to be ready. And then in our parable that we're going to be looking at, Jesus describes what readiness looks like. And readiness looks like serving the king while he's away. While the master's gone, before he comes back, the one thing we know we need to be doing each day is serving the king. 
And so we see in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25 that all of us have been given resources to use for God's kingdom. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So we're told the kingdom of heaven is like. So we get to know what is expected of us as kingdom-minded people. Well, he says there's a master that has, look at how he describes it, his own servants. So if you were to ask the servants, who is your master, they would point to this master. That agreement was official, and they knew that he was their master. So they were professing that he was their master, but their works are soon going to show us which of them really are true and faithful servants, and which are just saying that they're servants. This master delivers his goods to them. You see, they receive these things called uh, talents to invest. Now, a talent isn't a coin. There's no archaeologist that pulls up something and says, look, a talent, a talent was a unit of weight used on a scale. And so you could have a talent of gold or a talent of silver. And many think in this passage that this is a talent of gold. Now, a talent of gold would be 6,000 denarii. Now, one denarii would be enough for a common day's work for a laborer. So if you went out and worked in the field, you came back, you would get one denarii, and that would cover some some food for the day. 6,000 of those would equal 20,000, not 20,000, 20 years of wages. So when, when this one talent is given, it's 20 years worth of wages. When two talents are given, it's 40 years worth of wages. And when these five talents are given, it's 100 years worth of wages that these three servants are given to now invest. And the implication is that they are to multiply them. And so by application, what are we given? We'd sure like to be given that. (laughs) I'll take 100 years worth of wages, Lord, and I will invest that for you. And we do have natural gifts. We've got natural gifts and we have spiritual gifts. And in the natural gifts category, we do have money, right? We have money and we're going to be held accountable to that. I was just thinking the other day as I was uh, buying some some gospel tracks for the season, $2.99 on Amazon Prime will send me with free shipping 25 gospel tracks. And you're like, oh, it's only 25, but it really is 25 opportunities that I'm going to know that I want to be sharing, pe- sharing the Lord with people. And, and money and, you know, the physical moving to the spiritual, it's something that we should be thinking of how to use natural gifts for the kingdom. We've been given time. You know, all of us are alive right now, and we've got a bit more time we can use for the kingdom. And we have abilities, and we, we, have, we have different abilities. My dad can build a house from the ground up, and he's done it many times. I can build a home page on a computer. Uh, his is much more impressive, and it'll last longer. I get less scars on my hand. I have to prove my manliness, and you know, in other ways, I don't have the scars to kind of to show that. And you know, we've got abilities, whatever they are, use them for the kingdom. We have creativity, we have health, we've got our friends and family. We have natural resources, but these are the resources that everybody has, right? And we and we may have more than others living in this part of the world. But what believers in Jesus Christ have are spiritual abilities as well. We have spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 1, we're told that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When Jesus ascended on high, he distributed spiritual gifts for us to use to serve him. He's called us to a spiritual task, and so he gives us spiritual gifts. And so one thing that's helpful for us to do is to do an inventory, just to kind of go home this afternoon and say, What has the Lord given me in the natural realm? What has the Lord given me in the spiritual realm? And how am I using these things for the kingdom? One thing that happens when you take time to do that is you become a lot more grateful. 
you know, we complain a little bit less as we see all the Lord has given us, even though we desire more. This, this master distributed them according to his own ability. It wasn't according to the master's ability. It was according to the ability of each servant is how much he decided to give them. And, and God distributes according to our abilities as well. And the ability really comes from the Lord. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability with which God supplies. God gives us the ability. If he's going to call us to a task, then he's going to give us the ability to do that task. And we think, well, it's not fair. Some people are given so much more. How come I don't have that kind of a ministry? How come I don't have that spiritual gift? Well, if the Lord called us to do something we're not ready for, we're terrified. We're overwhelmed. You know, the first time I ever did announcements at Calvary Chapel Oldbridge, I was so overwhelmed that I practiced for two hours in a locked office. That is pathetic. <laughs> two hours. Right? It was terrifying. I was overwhelmed. They told me to do something that I wasn't, I wasn't ready for. And so God is kind to give us not only opportunities, but the resources we need for what he's prepared us for. So we're not all given the same thing, but we are all given something. And that's what we need to focus on. Can't get hung up on comparing ourselves. Oh, if I had their gifts and resources, I could serve the Lord in this way. If I was only more like that. And you say, well, that's great. You know, and as I look around this room, I realize, you know, I'm just a one-talent kind of person. Maybe everyone else is a five-talent kind of guy, but I'm a one-talent kind of person. You know those five-talent people? They have all their teeth. You know, their breath never smells. They're good-looking. That's not me. You know, I'm a one-talent kind of person. Well, well, no one's broke. Nobody here is broke spiritually. All right? We've all been given so much spiritually, it is wrong for us to compare ourselves one to another. One talent for the least of these servants was 20 years' worth of wages. And you may look around and say, I have the least out of everybody in this room, and it's way more than 20 years' worth of wages. You've got the power of God inside of you available to partner with you to serve him. And so it's not how much you're given. It's what you do with what we're given that we have to focus on. And what I love about God is that he's created each of us uniquely. My little sister just had identical twins, but they're still unique. They're still going to have their own little personalities. And God created us uniquely, and be encouraged. It's because he has unique and specific people that he desires you to minister to, people that my personality would never work with, people that, that I'm never going to meet. God has put in your path, and he has created you uniquely to reach those people for his kingdom. So this servant... This master gives uh, his resources to the servants, and then it says he went on a journey to a far country. There's a delay, but the delay isn't seen as a negative thing. Each day the master is gone, the servants have an opportunity to multiply more and more for their master. Look at verse 16 with me as we see life is our chance to use these resources. He who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had, <coughs> excuse me, he who had received two gained two more also. He would received one, went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So it says they went and traded. There's effort and risk involved. And two of them double the money that they're given. Pretty impressive. If anybody ever comes to you and says they can double your retirement fund, they probably also have a gun. You need to watch out. It's a scam. Don't, that's, that's a bit too risky. But for them, it was a calculated risk. Right? They were able to, to see if I lent money to these farmers based on what it seems like, I can probably gain my master more money. But for one, it was just too risky at all to do anything, and so he dug a hole and hid his master's money. Now, what do we do when we read that? If you're like me, when you read that, the first thing you do is say, oh, what a fail. 
why that person, all he had to do was go out there and, and use the money for, for his master. And you start judging this person in the story. Be careful. It's a trap. Jesus is great. We love Jesus, but he's setting you up here. This is a trick. I'm telling you. All right. This is a parable trap is what we're happening here. And so we, we see it elsewhere in the scriptures. Remember King David after his sin with Bathsheba, he committed adultery with her, and then he had Uriah killed to cover it all up. He was taking that to the grave. He wasn't ever going to let anyone know about these two major sins that were in his life. But God loved him too much. And so God sent Nathan to him with a parable. And Nathan says, hey, there's one rich man. He's got a 1,000 sheep. It's his business. His neighbor, just one sheep. He's just their little pet. They call him, you know, Sir Lambs a lot. And the family just pets this little lamb, and they raise him, and it just might as well be a dog. Well, one day, there's a visitor to the rich guy. He doesn't want to take sheep from his business, and so he steals the one lamb, kills it, cooks it up, serves it to his friend. What should be done to the man? And David starts screaming, and he goes, that man deserves to die. And he judges the parable, what he thinks is a real story, and Nathan looks right at him and says, you are that man. See, David was so far caught up in sin that he was unable to judge himself. He had already decided to take this to the grave. And so God gives him a parable because parables are easy to judge because there's no names attached to them. And so we judge the hypothetical situation, and then we find out as we're pointing at the person in the story, we're really pointing back at ourselves as we act in a similar way. And how do I act in a similar way by digging a hole and burying the talent? Well, I realize I've got something so much more important than money that sometimes I don't share. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. I think of the opportunities that I've had in life to to share my faith. I've been prompted by the Holy Spirit to share my faith, and I don't say it. I don't have time to share the story, but on September 11th, I had to run from the towers in New York City. I was living down there, and I was with the firemen all day trying to help them out, but I was backslidden. I was not following the Lord, and so I had no power spiritually at all. And at least 10 times on that day, as I was leaving a fireman, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to say, God bless you, or, or I'm praying for you. But because I had no power spiritually, every single time I said, good luck. To firemen that knew that their friends had just died, I said, good luck. What kind of luck is there? Right? And so I buried the talent, and I, I, I was expecting more of myself, but I had no power since I had walked away from the Lord in those situations. I know the pain of burying the talent. You know, God is always faithful to get his message to the people he wants to get his message to, whether, even though he gives us opportunities we don't use at times. But we have the gospel, and we've got to use the resources God has given us to get it out. Paul tells the Romans in Romans 12, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, right? If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. We have to use it. We don't want the spiritual resources and gifts the Lord has given us to get rusty, to get dust on them, right? We've got the gospel. What can we do to get the gospel out? That's where the physical can touch the spiritual in in so many ways, where 299 equals 25 opportunities to share your faith, where your phones can be used to share the gospel, where Facebook is created maybe to just make you selfishly love yourself more and feel good about yourself, but you can use it to share the gospel, Right? We, we started using this app at uh, the Bible College to live stream events we're doing. It's called Periscope. Twitter made it. 
And so it's a really easy way to live stream an event, but it becomes public. And so we were live, live streaming a theology Q&A on Thursday night. And it's great for our staff that can't always attend the events. But there was someone that came up that said free thinker, whatever was their username. And we were a- accepting questions on the internet. And this person said, I'm a, I'm, you know, they asked all these great questions about the existence of God. And we were giving them answers through the video. And then some of our staff members started kind of ministering by typing the answers. And then all of a sudden we find out this person says, I'm an atheist and nobody's ever given me an answer without being angry at me. And the connection and the ministry that happened over the next hour with this one person, our students didn't even know what was going on. It was all happening because we were using something physical to, to touch the spiritual. And so pray about how the Lord would have you to use your resources to get the gospel message out. If you look at verse 19 with me, you see that one day our response is going to be reviewed. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. So there's a settling of accounts. There's a day of judgment. There's a day of accountability. These servants had resources and time. What did they do with it, right? And, and, and there was a judgment that was happening. How did you use the money that I gave you? You know, how did you, how did you really use this? And, and, and they had that accountability. And now, thankfully for believers in Jesus Christ, despite our failures and our shortcomings, the day of judgment for us isn't a scary day. The day of judgment for us isn't the decision whether we go to heaven or hell based on our good works or anything like that. No, the moment we, by faith, right, we believe in Jesus Christ, the moment that that happens then the righteousness of Christ is imputed upon us, right? And, and so we don't live our lives in fear, wondering if we're good enough. We know we're not good enough. We know Jesus is the good one. He is the perfect one. But by his blood, we get to enter into heaven. And we, we wait for the Bema seat judgment. You know, we want to use our lives for the kingdom. And when we do that with the right motives, then there's going to be rewards in heaven given to us. That's the only judgment we have, and it's still an important one because we want to respond in love to the great love that's come our way. This servant was able to say, I have gained. I'm giving back more to you than you gave me. There was this implication that he knew he needed to multiply the money he was given, and it's true for us as well. And I don't think this parable has anything to do with, with money when it comes to us unless money is your way to get the gospel out. I really think, what is it that God cares about? Do you think God really cares about money? He could take it all in a second if he wants it, right? He, he doesn't care about money. He cares about souls. And he, he cares about multiplying souls for the kingdom of heaven. And so we want to be able to say one day when we get to heaven, we're able to say, I have spent my life trying to tell people about Jesus, to bring other people along. We don't want to get to heaven and, and just kind of not recognize anyone or not have anyone saying thank you in that sense. It's, it does take a bit of being proactive and intentional to use your life to tell others about Jesus. And I know that's what we want to do and we get distracted away from that. But we want to be a part of somebody else's journey towards heaven. In verse 21 we see that faithful servants are going to receive a reward. He says, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so what does the first servant receive? He doubles the money, but he's probably a bit nervous during this this day of accountability. Was it enough? I think I did a good job, but was it enough for my master? And he receives this compliment. Well done, good and faithful servant. He was faithful to work hard for his master. He worked as hard as if it was his own money, as if he was keeping all of the profit, and yet he gave it all to his master. Paul tells the Corinthians that it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And we've been given this stewardship of the gospel, and we've got to, we've got to be faithful with it. Christ will be the only one that is perfectly faithful, but it must compel us. The love of Christ must compel us to serve him. That's what will happen with believers. And so he receives a compliment, probably wipes the sweat off of his his forehead and in relief. And then the master goes on to say, so you were faithful over a few things. I'm going to now make you a ruler over many things. So what does that mean? Maybe next time he's going to receive 10 talents to invest instead of the five. Or maybe it means he's joining the master's you know, team in a, in a different way. Um, and for us, spiritually, we don't know if this means that here on earth, we're going to now receive more resources to invest into the kingdom, or if he's purely talking about the millennial kingdom and how we live here on earth is going to determine how we serve God for eternity, or at least for those thousand years. But the, what we see is that the Lord notices our attitudes towards little things. You know, we... We love talking about big ministry and, and crusades and all those things that are fantastic and, and needed, and we, we kind of look to those things as the best things, but we need to be faithful in the little things, and the Lord notices the little things. Let me tell you about a little thing that isn't so little in my life anymore. It's my little grandma. <laughs> my, my little grandma, she's a sarcastic, beautiful New Jersey woman, um, She's beat cancer twice, and she has a love in her heart that her entire family would come to know Jesus Christ. And I had the pleasure of of living in the same house as her with my family for, for years growing up. My grandma, every single day practically, looked over the fence at an alcoholic who was constantly throwing parties, who was constantly doing drugs, and she would go over to the fence like Tim the Toolman, you know, and she would just go there and lean over, probably on a stool or something, and, and she would share her faith with this man when he was drunk, when he was on drugs, in between. She wouldn't call the cops on him. She would just love on him and try and tell him about Jesus because that was the root issue there, not that she had a noisy neighbor. And so she did this time and time again for probably a decade, and then one day he's out, he's out drunk, and he, he tries to come to his senses, but he's still drunk. And he says, I need, to turn, I, need to, I need to go to rehab. And so his thought was, I'm going to steal a car and drive myself to rehab. But when he was stealing the car, somebody came out. He got nervous. They started screaming. And he put some tape over the person's mouth, threw them in the car. The tape suffocated a nice old lady, and she died. And our neighbor now became from, from a drunk and, an, and a drug-addicted person to now a murderer. And my grandma didn't stop sharing the love of Jesus Christ with him, even though he has completely was broken as he sobered up in prison, recognizing what he was done. And so in prison for him, as he was awaiting his trial, he began to rip the sheets apart, stood up on, stood up on the bed, and was about to hang himself. And the Lord faithfully brought somebody else through a vent in the floor to share the gospel with him. He said, but I'm a murderer. And when he found out that God would forgive him, even though the family would never forgive him and he would live with this for the rest of his life, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And 20-something years later, he's still in prison, but he is such a man of God that I would let him babysit my children. 
I would hire him at a church or, or a ministry instantly because he is, he's probably one of the greatest men of God that I know to this day. Doesn't mean he didn't do what he did before he knew the Lord, but he is right with God in a way where he ministers to me more than many people. My grandmother starts a prison ministry. My old grandma starts a prison ministry because of this to minister to him, to give him resources. And she started that prison ministry and the only church that would give her any money towards the prison ministry was the local Calvary Chapel. We were at a Baptist church, and when our Baptist church kind of fell apart over the years, we said, well, let's go to Grandma's church where they do that prison ministry thing. And that's the reason that I got involved in Calvary Chapel, which is what led to me getting hired at Calvary Chapel and, and serving out here. And I, I fully believe that the little thing of my grandmother looking over the fence with a heart of compassion, just like Jesus looked at Jerusalem and wept over the city because they rejected the prophets, when my grandmother had that little thing, that heart for our neighbor, I believe not only did, he, did the salvation come upon him and a prison ministry get born, but I believe any fruit from the ministry that I have is going to be credited partly to her because of her faithfulness. You're faithful over little things, and, and God is going to equip you. If you desire to be used for God's glory, God will give you the means to do so, and then he's going to continue to enable you to do more and more for his kingdom. This, this master said you can enter into the joy of the Lord. For, so for this servant, there was a feast and there was a lot of thanksgiving happening. And for those using what God has given them for his kingdom, they catch the joy. They catch the joy. They begin to receive, find pleasure in living sacrificially for other people. We had a Bible college student that went on a short-term missions trip to Haiti and recently decided that she wanted to move there as a, as a full, full-time missionary, a long-term missionary. You say, oh, that's really cool. No, that is crazy. Because I went to Haiti, I went to Haiti three months after the earthquake with my youth group. It is the hottest place on the planet that I've been to, at least. I know we have Death Valley, but you don't go there. This, there's people here. <laughs> I went on this missions trip, and all day long you bake and sweat and humidity, and you think, surely it will be better at nighttime. No. It's, it's, and all the sun did was superheat the ground to become a sun underneath of you. And all night long, you just bake and you're sweating all night long. And then you're like, what? It's, it's two in the morning and I'm still sweating. What's happening? And then just, just when you're about to die, at 4.30 in the morning, all of a sudden there was this little coolness that came upon the land. And I finally felt like I could sleep and I did. And then the roosters woke up. I, wanted to, I, don't, I, don't, I barely survived why would a girl want to go and live in a place like that? Because she caught the joy of her master. She began to, she doesn't even mention the heat. I'm the one that mentions the heat. She doesn't even mention that. She mentions the orphan kids that she lives with and that she loves and the joy that, that they bring to her heart. We get to catch that joy. Now, what about this servant who only multiplied two extra talents for his master what kind of, does, is he told, hey, why didn't you get me five? Well, I only had less. Okay, fine. Is there rebuke or explanations having to be given? Not at all. He receives the same exact reward as the one who multiplied five. God didn't scold him because for what he was given, it was the appropriate gain for what he had to work with. Now, just think about that. I want you to do something a little bit sci-fi with me and just think about to the future whenever you think uh, whenever you think you'll be in heaven, you know, you'll, you'll be in heaven, it's the, it's the beam of seat, the rewards are being given out, and you've got a good seat because right next to you is Billy Graham. <laughs> All right. And so Billy Graham's about to receive his reward, and you see a dump truck overflowing with treasure just backing up, and you're like, I expected this. 
and it, it just lifts up, it buries Billy Graham. He's got a straw just trying to breathe through all the gold. And you're just sitting there doing a slow clap that builds and all of heaven starts building. And you're like, this, I expected this. Good job, Billy. Life well lived. And you think, well, this is, this is a bit embarrassing that I follow Billy. And all of a sudden, a dump truck starts coming back towards you. And you say, well, that's a bit overkill for a shiny 1982 penny that God's going to flick at me. What? And then you get buried in the same amount as go- of gold as Billy Graham. And as you're suffocating, you think to yourself, what's going on here? There's no way. He's preached to millions of people. And I, w- I just shared with my neighbors what's going on here. And what's happening is if we live our lives faithfully to love the people around us, we will be judged based on the opportunities God gives us and the resources God has given us. I fully believe that while it is amazing that some people preach to the millions, if somebody else is living in an isolated way and their ministry is prayer and their ministry is loving their neighbors, they can receive the same exact reward because we're not judged based on converts or success of the ministry in our eyes. We are judged based on faithfulness in the given situation that we are in. He receives the same exact reward as the one who got five talents. But excuses for not using our resources will not work at all. Look at verse 24. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. Wait, that that doesn't sound true at all. We don't get that witness from the first two servants. All they do is report on what they did And then the master promotes them and blesses them and ministers to them and and, and brings them into the joy. But you see, for this last person, his perception of the master dictated his efforts. That's That's why it's been said that the most important thoughts that we have are our thoughts about God. Right? Because it's going to dictate our response to God. This guy thought, well, my master is cruel. He's making me do all the work for minimum wage, and then he's taking all the gain, and I'm going to keep working a minimum wage. He is cruel. That's what he thinks. Well, not true at all. His master was looking for a way to promote this person. Now, he received one talent instead of two or five for a reason, because that was his ability. He might have talked to Big Talk and said, I can do better with five. I can do, you know, we don't, we don't know, right? It's a, it's a story. But he received that amount for a reason. And I think if we were to think about that, we would say, well, he was probably a bit riskier of an investment. The master might not have even invested in this person at all, and yet he gives him an opportunity. If this person had been faithful instead of burying it in the ground, and he had made a return for his master, the master probably would have said, huh, well, what do you know? I'm glad I gave him the benefit of the doubt because he proved himself faithful. Next time I'm going to give him two talents, and we'll see how well he does. I think the master was looking for ways to promote him while still being wise with his resources. It wasn't cruel at all. This guy said, I was afraid. So I hid your money. Fear? Afraid of failing? What kind of an excuse is that? Maybe for him it was was an okay excuse, but for us it's not a good excuse because we have the solution to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. I'll tell you what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of spiders. If If this pulpit had spiders on it, Ted's here. I got my notes. He can finish the message. I'm done if there's spiders here. But you know what? I have a fear of spiders, but I have a love that is greater than that fear. If I walk into my daughter's room, who's a little four-year-old, three- or four-year-old little girl, her birthday's any day now. I already bought the present. Just, you know, 
If I walked into her room because she's screaming in the middle of the night and there's this disgusting, terrifying tarantula slowly, slowly coming down the wall at her, I would, no matter how my fear is, I don't run and just get in my car and drive away, right? No matter my fear, I run, I'll throw my daughter out of the room to, and the thing will be chewing on my ear. Run, Abby, run. But I'm still scared. I'll never recover from that. I'll be shaken my whole life after something like that. But love overcomes fear. Why do parents run back into a burning building? It's because their kids are there, not their purse, right? You, you run back in for your, for your children. And so love, if we can just get ourselves to love the people around us. And I'll tell you, we think it starts with strangers. No, it starts with your family. It starts with us loving our family members, our extended family, so much so that we fear for, for their relationship with the Lord. And so we begin to share in ways as best as we can. You got to be real creative with family because they say no. And you got to get creative and figure out other ways to share with them. But you start by loving your family. And then out of that, you'll find then there'll be a love for the strangers that you're around as well. And if we can just love people, we overcome the fear of being rejected when they say, I don't, I don't want to hear that. That's ridiculous that you would share that with me. This guy says, here, have what's yours. He just tosses the money back as if it's nothing. He didn't value the potential of one talent. Maybe he was offended he didn't get more. And often we want to change the whole world, but we're not intentional about the conversations we have at the supermarket. But we want to change the whole world. But that's, that's you know, who we are with the few things is, is who we are as Christians. That's who we are. Not the talk we talk, not what we, we think we're going to do. God is not asking us to change the world. He already did that right? We just get to partner with God one life at a time. Do you see in the scriptures how much Jesus wants to partner with you? He doesn't have to. Remember the Ark of the Covenant got stolen and got into Philistines' hands? God was perfectly capable of getting the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel without a single Israelite being there. He just got it back. He destroyed more of the Philistines just by hanging out there than in the war where they lost the ark. God doesn't need to use us. Sometimes he wants to use us, though. And sometimes he's going to fight for us to use us, like in Jonah's situation, where even though Jonah said, no way, I'm headed in the other direction, God said, no, I want to use you. Other times he'll let us run and he'll use somebody else. But do you see how much he wants to use us? In John chapter 6, when um, the disciples said to Jesus, where are we going to buy bread for all these people when he was in front of thousands preaching the gospel to them and they were getting hungry? Jesus said this to test them. He said, he said himself because he knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. But one of his disciples, Andrew, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? But he heard Jesus say, how are we going to feed these people? And he started looking around. He goes, well, this, this kid brought his lunch, but how is that going to help anybody? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. And he multiplies the resource as small as it was and feeds everybody. And then he, after they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. See, I think Jesus was trying to show the disciples and, and everybody that you offer to the Lord whatever you have by faith and he can multiply it. And he can use it. And again, I don't think this has anything to do with money. That's not what God cares about. God cares about souls. And so sometimes it's going to involve money, but a lot of the times it won't at all. But you just offer yourself to the Lord. Lord, I never finished that evangelism class. Lord, I never went through the new believers class. Lord, I never did, did this, but this person seems to need you. And it's on my heart, nobody else's heart. Would you equip me to minister to them? And you offer yourself to the Lord and you watch what he does as he multiplies and gives you the gifts that you need. You see, Jesus didn't take nothing and multiply it. He took something and multiplied it. 
And then he tells them to gather the fragments up as if to show them every single resource is important. Don't let anything go to waste. It can all be used for the kingdom. God wants to partner with us today. And even tiny gains are acceptable to God. It doesn't have to be this big, huge thing. It's great to, to pray for a country and say, Lord, give me this country. But, but we just need to have a heart that wants to serve the Lord even in small ways. Look at verse 26 with me. His Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. He says, this has nothing to do with me. You are wicked. And he rejects this excuse completely. He says, you knew that I, and I don't think this is him agreeing with the testimony of the servant against him. I think, I think this is more of him saying, you know, I'm, I'm judging you based on what you knew. And if this is what you knew about me, if I really was this mean and this cruel, you still should serve me. All the more reason to serve me if you're doing it out of fear instead of love and a love for the, for the job. So it's all the more reason. And he gives him another acceptable outcome. He says, you could have at least deposited my money with the bankers. Now it's dirty there. It would have at least gotten me a percentage of interest. So at least I would have had 1.1 talents, you know, and I would have kept up with inflation. And, and he says, that's another acceptable outcome. And it seems like if the servant had deposited the money with the bankers, he wouldn't have gotten the scathing rebuke we're about to see. Instead, he probably would have said, okay, thanks. But then the master probably wouldn't have used him anymore. But, but he probably would have still been, okay, it seems like another outcome that's acceptable, the banks. So what, how does that, what does that work out spiritually? How do we deposit our money with the bankers? I believe that God wants all of us to walk in the boldness and pray for that boldness to share our faith ourselves to minister to the people in church ourselves instead of waiting for other people to do it. I believe that he, if we have a heart to do that, then he will empower us to do things that we're shocked at, at doing, that we're just blown away at doing. I think that's his first goal. So you may be afraid to share your faith, afraid to preach, afraid to do, you know, to leave it all and go on the mission field. But how do you deposit your money with the bankers to show that you still have a heart for God? Well, I believe that comes in supporting those that are out there on the front lines. And so you may say, ah, I just can't figure out financially how I could be a missionary. Then support a missionary. You may say, ah, I just just need a bit more training before I can share my faith. Then find the evangelist in the church and tell him, you never have to buy another Bible or gospel tract ever again. Every time you run out, you come to me. I'll be your supplier. I'm going to make sure that the gospel gets out. There, there are a lot of, you can probably talk to Pastor Ted, there are a lot of missionaries that come off the field, even though they still feel called there because of a lack of financial resources. I believe this is a way that we can deposit our money with the bankers, even though we may be afraid to do something, the Lord will then see our heart in wanting to conti- have the work continue. A.T. Pearson says a similar thing. He says, timid souls unfit for bold and independent service on behalf of the kingdom may link their incapacity to the capacity of others who will make their gifts and possessions of use to the master. We can do that. We can link up with each other and support those that have the time to go out there and serve because you really do lose what you don't use. Look at verse 28. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
this servant didn't use the resource, and so it was given to the one who really was using the resource. We don't know how that works out spiritually. Is that going to happen while we're on earth or in, in the millennial kingdom? But what we see here is that good intentions are not enough. Good in, I have good intentions all the time. I'm a good intentions factory. I'm always pumping out good intentions. Every sermon, I'm like, wow, this, here's 10 amazing ways I can apply this sermon. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think about it all the time. Do you know that I had, a, I think, a God-honoring uh, evangelism idea for three years in a, in a way that I felt like I could reach people that have already said no to me. Don't, don't share this anymore. And I, had, I had an idea where I could kind of backdoor get the gospel in to those people. And I sat on it for three years. And just this last Christmas, two days before Christmas, I said, it's been three years. These people that I love could be dead by now, three years later. And so thank God for Amazon Prime, because that was involved in two, day, two free day shipping there. And um, I was able to get, get it in just at Christmas in time there. But man, a good intention that lasts three years does nothing, does nothing for the gospel. And so I had to do something with it. And so this, Jesus says, it's like the parable disappears completely because the master can't say what the master said here. He has no authority because there's no other way to read this last verse than cast this servant into hell. There's no other way to read it. There's no like cultural equivalent that's being talked to here. Jesus just stops teaching the parable and basically says, if a servant truly is this selfish, he is not a servant at all. And that person will be cast into hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it is not his failure to invest that condemned him at all. Rather, his lack of good works showed a lack of true saving faith. Right? It's, it's about the faith. This is a, a, you know, a Bible teaching church, so I don't have to tell you about this. You don't get to heaven based on doing anything, only believing in Jesus. If you get to heaven and you're standing before God and, and he's, he's judging you and says, why should I get into heaven? And you start out by saying, well, I've done so. Whoa. That's when the angels say, whoa, back up. <laughs> You don't ever start a conversation with God by saying, look what I've done for you. No, it's what Jesus has done. So I'm not saying this servant had to, had to do something to prove anything when it relates to us, but we can say we're born again until we're blue in the face if nothing ever changes in our life and we continue to be as selfish after our conversion as we were before. We might not be able to judge here on earth that this person or that person is saved, but if there are no good fruits, we definitely can't judge. And there, there needs to be some kind of good works that, that happen after saving faith as a byproduct, as fruit that hangs from, hangs from the tree. And so this person just isn't a true servant. And so they're cast into hell. Now, this is actually good news. This is an opportunity for us to see the heart of Jesus. It's an opportunity for us to see that people matter to God more than anything else, so much so that Jesus would use the true shock factor of telling people that this kind of a person isn't really born again and will not be going to heaven. And so we get to examine our own hearts and see if we're faithful servants or if, or if we are unprofitable ones. And of course, we're going to go through seasons. Life, Christianity seems like it's just season after season where we evaluate our life and say, man, I have been using nothing of my, none of my resources for the kingdom. I'm not saying that doesn't mean you're, you're not a believer. I'm saying that's a time to adjust and see God's heart here and to say, you know, I need to reprioritize. Jesus's heart should be my heart. Now, I say every little bit helps. And I started this message by telling you about little five-year-old Bennett sending $5 to the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and you think, yeah, well, what, what did that really do? Well, that, they were touched by it. 
Rita Dare, the, the assistant athletic director, was so touched, he sent back a jersey, a football that was signed, all this gear, but he sent a letter, and the letter said, Bennett, you're our number one fan. Bennett's screaming, Dad, I'm the number one fan. You're not even the number one fan. I'm only five, and I'm the number one fan. He's all freaking out and so excited about it. And think about it. A dollar bill caused that much gratitude to come back because of the heart and the sincerity that was there. And so I just want you to pause and, and put yourself in this story in that moment where the gratefulness, the gratitude of the Father as he's looking at you and your life well lived says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Has nothing to do with football. If football is going to generate this kind of a reaction, imagine a father who looks at all of these people on the planet and weeps over their lost condition, over the enemy having his way with them, over their deception, and then you decided to sacrifice your joy, pleasure, and convenience to reach out to a few and bring them into the kingdom. He's going to look at you with tears in his eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Just, just imagine you know, the parents out there. I have a little four-year-old-ish almost and a, a almost two-year-old. Uh, and my, my greatest goal in life is that they would come to know Jesus. It's not the Bible college. Uh, that's, a, that's a great goal, and I serve, I serve as best as I can there. But my greatest goal in life, I have a believing wife, is that my two children would come to know Jesus. I'm a partner with God in creating a soul that may or may not go to heaven. My greatest goal is to influence them towards Jesus. But imagine one day they backslide. And they find themselves somewhere else. And God uses you to bring them back to to Christianity, to faith in God. Can you just imagine how grateful I will be as a father towards you, even if that's the only person that you rescued from from Satan? I mean, I think we have to see God's heart in that he is going to be so grateful. This story gets even a bit better because six months later, the football program was reinstated. Why? Because the local businesses seeing all of this news from Bennett and from everything else, Bennett's article seemed to be the first one out there, but they, they wanted to capitalize on that for their community. And so what they did is pledge $30 million to the university. But guess who gave the first dollar? <laughs> Little Bennett. And so you say, oh, well, does a dollar even matter compared to the 30? That's really what matters. Okay, but we're not talking about dollars. If we're talking about $1 compared to what? It's compared to one soul. And it's connected to so many families and it's connected to a father who has compassion and love. And so we have to realize that every little bit helps and God desires to use each of us. And I believe we're probably gonna start with reaching out to our family members, our neighbors, our friends, and then eventually even to strangers. But God does want to use us because the laborers are few and he weeps over the people that are around us and we need to weep too.